Welcome to What's in the Box, stories from the Sambo Maxi House State Historic Site, where we discuss artifacts in the Historic Sites collection that are normally in storage or are a little harder to notice in the period rooms. Hi, I'm Caitlin Ammon. And I'm Amanda Reed. And once again, welcome to What's in the Box, stories from the Sam Bell Maxi House State Historic Site. So I am opening the box that Amanda has sitting here. And inside are two pieces of paper with some hair. One is an obituary and one is a piece of paper with information about Marilda Maxi's death on it. Oh, and a piece of hair. So, super fun, upbeat objects for the first episode. Yeah, so we have two different objects for today's show. Marilda's obituary and a document with Marilda's epitaph from her gravestone in Evergreen Cemetery, which, as you mentioned, Caitlin, also contains a lock of hair. The obituary was cut out from one of Paris's local newspapers at the time, which in 1908 leaves us with either the Paris Morning News or the Dinner Horn. We don't know which paper it is from because whoever cut it out cut off the identifying portion. Uh, In regards to the hair, we are assuming it is a lock of Merilda's hair since it is bagged with the epitaph. Well, if you haven't guessed already, based on the artifacts, we are going to be talking about Merilda Maxi. March is Women's History Month, and we thought it only appropriate to talk about the First Lady of the House. We will start with her childhood which we honestly don't know much about, and I will admit we're still trying to learn more about Marilda. We don't have nearly as many primary sources from her as we do for her husband, but we are slowly putting together what we can to continually increase our knowledge of Marilda and her story. Marilda was born on December 20th in Clinton County, Kentucky. That we definitely know. What we don't definitely know is her birth year. Census records show it as ranging from 1832 to 1835. The obituary here in front of us says 1832, while the epitaph, and thus her gravestone, say 1833. Louise Horton, Sam Bell Maxey's biographer, used the date of 1833 when she introduced Marilda into Sam's life in the written biography. Ms. Horton describes Marilda as the untutored daughter of George N. Denton, a poor farmer in Clinton County, Kentucky. Yep, that is how she introduced the readers of Sam's biography to Marilda. According to Marilda's obituary, however, her father was a member of a leading family in the state of Kentucky. I'd like to touch a bit more on the untutored part. We don't 100% know what Miss Horton meant by that phrase, but possibly she meant that Marilda did not receive a formal education as we view it today. Now, let's pick up on Marilda's story where we know a little bit more information, her marriage to Sam Bell Maxey. Knowing a little bit more is the key phrase because we don't know when Marilda and Sam met. But it must have been between 1850 and 1853 because Sam proposed to another woman in 1850 and she turned him down. Anyway, she and Sam were married on July 19th, 1853 in Albany, Kentucky by Reverend R.C. Buckner a Baptist preacher and friend to both Merilda and Sam. We'll talk a little bit more about Reverend Buckner later, 
The couple later moved to Paris, Texas in October of 1857 with some of Sam's family members and others from Albany. The thought is that the family moved for economic reasons. Sam and his father, Rice, were lawyers, and it is thought that there was a lot of competition for business in Albany, whereas maybe there were some better prospects in Paris. On a side note, though, there were a number of law firms already established in Paris and Clarksville, a nearby town. Upon moving to Paris, Marilda and Sam lived with Sam's parents. You heard that right. Marilda was living with her in-laws. Sam and his father, Rice's law firm business, had picked up and the two split the workload. Rice, the father-in-law for Marilda, took care of the cases and stayed abreast of news in Paris, while Sam took to traveling the law circuit, taking cases wherever state docket cases were tried in the surrounding area. Sam and Marilda would write letters to one another while he was traveling the law circuit. By September of 1860, it seems that Marilda had enough of living with her in-laws because she flat out moved out. And not only moved out, but moved back in with her family in Albany, Kentucky. Yeah, she left Texas and went back to Kentucky. There are some different reasons given for the move, with some of them being insinuated from the letters between Sam and Marilda after she left. Apparently, Marilda and her mother-in-law got into a tiff over money. More specifically, Marilda's right to spend it as the head of the household at that point. Sam was also beginning to have higher political aspirations and was thinking of putting forth his name for a seat in the Texas State Senate. Marilda apparently didn't agree with this aspiration. Another reason that has been put forth for the potential move was what was viewed at the time as rising violence in Texas. Rumors were spreading of increased violence in the state, with the violence being attributed to slave insurrections. Now, as I said, this is in 1860, so this is right before, you know, the country breaks out in civil war and we're already starting to see tensions regarding um, slavery and tensions between the North and South. This uh, kind of rising violence, or what they saw as rising violence, worried Marilda, who thought she would be safer in Kentucky. Now, as mentioned earlier, Marilda and Sam wrote letters to each other during her time in Kentucky. Sam wrote letters trying to convince Marilda to come back to Paris, mentioning things like how he thinks his mother misses her and insinuating that, no, he didn't really want to run for the Texas State Senate. I kind of wonder how much she cared that her mother-in-law missed her. Anyway, Marilda decided to come home in November and wrote to Sam that if he came to pick her up, she'd come back to Texas. He did, and after visiting some friends and family in Kentucky, they both returned to Paris together. Oh, and by the way, Sam, he did end up putting forth his name for a state senate seat in the 1861 election after they returned. He won, but didn't end up serving because he chose to serve in the Confederate Army instead. After the Civil War was over, the Maxis built their home on the land they first purchased when they moved to Texas. Marilda moved into the home in December of 1868 with Dora, as Sam was out of town on business. Marilda, as lady of the house, had large influence on the look and feel of both the house and the grounds. She was very in tune with the cultural expectations of how a Victorian lady of her class should manage and decorate the house and grounds, and took her cues from two of the leading decorative influences of the day, Charles Eastlake and Andrew Jackson Downing. We won't be getting into too much of what either of these gentlemen put forth in this podcast, though. 
Charles Eastlake's decorative influence can be seen on the house's interior, especially in Merilda's furniture selections. There are several pieces throughout the house that are considered Eastlake pieces. Basically, pieces of furniture based on his designs and ideas. Andrew Jackson Downing's writings influenced the house's grounds and perhaps its architecture. Many of the grounds features from the Maxis' time are gone, but through family letters and later photographs, it appears that Merilda was trying to create an exterior setting in accordance with Downing's ideas, a large one being that a good home in which the grounds were included would encourage its inhabitants to pursue a moral existence. Merilda managed the house and grounds and would write to her husband, who was usually away on business and eventually serving in the United States Senate, about the work being done inside the house and on the property. They would discuss furniture purchases, what was being planted in the gardens and orchards, and different features being built on the grounds. Her letters were the one way Sam knew what was going on at home, and he frequently praised her for everything that she did. Now, Merilda most likely was not doing much of the work herself, as the Maxis did have servants to help them care for the house and grounds, but the management of the servants fell to her. Now, the house's grounds were important to Merilda, not only because well-maintained, properly planted grounds could lead to a better, more moral existence, but also because she had an avid interest in horticulture. Gardening was very important to her. The Maxis at one point had actually a 31-acre orchard and vineyard that they tended to with Sam's parents here on the grounds. There was also a vegetable garden, including cold frames that house plants for their protection over winter. In addition to the more utilitarian gardens, Marilda also had a formal garden in which she grew all sorts of flowers, in particular her roses. Another fun fact about Marilda, which goes along with her interest in gardening, is that she was recognized by the Texas House of Representatives in House Concurrent Resolution Number 14, passed in 1997 as the person who brought the first crepe myrtles to Paris, Texas. Now, why is this important? Well, because in the same resolution, Lamar County was named the Crepe Myrtle County Capital and Paris was named the official Crepe Myrtle City of Texas. So yeah, that wouldn't have happened if she wouldn't brought those Crepe Myrtles as the resolution says she did. Since Merilda worked to create a home that would be the ideal environment to raise a family, it's probably time to talk about Merilda and Sam's family. Merilda and Sam both wanted children, but never had any biological children. They did adopt a daughter, a six-year-old little girl named Dora, in 1863. There is no certificate of adoption, or at least one has not been found. It was more transfer of guardianship from Dora's grandparents, who were the Maxis' friends, to the Maxis. But for all intents and purposes, it was an adoption. Dora had actually been living with the Maxis prior to the adoption, after her grandparents died earlier. Just as we don't know much about Merilda's childhood, we don't know much about Dora's childhood or the exact nature of Merilda and Dora's relationship. We do learn a little bit more about this relationship, however, when Dora gets older, especially when she goes away to school. Merilda and Sam desired the best for Dora and did everything they could to make that happen. Together, they decided to send their daughter to school in Kentucky, leading to frequent letters between mother and daughter. Merilda's letters show she wanted Dora to get a good education and to study hard, instructing in one, in one letter, please don't read trash, read good, solid reading intermixed with some light literature, but don't permit yourself too much light reading. You will never be considered accomplished until you read and study Shakespeare. 
Oh, boy. Even in the 1800s, kids had to study Shakespeare. The letters also potentially show what can be seen as a sadder side to Merilda. In one letter to Dora, she writes, I have been so very uneasy about you that my life has been perfectly miserable for some days past. I will not ask you to do a letter, for I want you to do just as your feelings dictate. Write when it suits you. I wish to know exactly for you feel towards me and don't want you to pen a line when you don't feel like it. If I have failed to inspire that respect and love that I so fondly hoped for, it is my fault, not yours, and I will learn to bear my disappointment as bravely as possible. Reading between the lines of this letter and others, it seems that, at times, Merilda wasn't always secure in the idea of Dora's love for her, since she was only Dora's adopted mother. Dora would always assuage these feelings, basically writing back that Merilda was her mother and that was that. Merilda was always devoted to her daughter, but it can be seen even more so when Dora fell ill. Ill. Merilda was at Dora's side, traveling to New York and New Orleans to try and diagnose and then cure Dora's illness. When Dora was too sick and weak, Merilda would assist in running Dora's household and caring for her grandchildren, Sally Lee and Thomas. Merilda's concern for Dora and her sadness at the disease can be seen in her letters to Sam and to Dora's husband, Henry Lightfoot. Unfortunately, Dora passed away from what we now believe to have been some form of cancer in the stomach area. Merilda, who was already actively involved in her grandchildren's lives, helped to raise them after Dora's death, even having Henry and the children, six-year-old Sally Lee and four-year-old Thomas, come live with her and Sam in their house for a while. When grandmother and grandchildren were separated, they would constantly write letters to each other, just as she was devoted to Dora, she was devoted to her grandchildren. It appears that Sally Lee and Thomas even came to see the Maxi home with Merle and Sam as more their house than their actual house in Paris. Along with raising Dora, Sally Lee, and Thomas, the Maxis also raised another child, their great-nephew Sam Bell Maxi Long. From the age of two, when Sam Bell's father died, and maybe earlier, Marilda and Sam were really involved in Sam Bell's life. Oh, and just so there's no confusion, Sam Maxie will be Sam, whereas Sam Bell Maxie Long will be Sam Bell. Sam Bell's mother, the Maxie's niece, eventually moved into a house caddy corner from the Maxies, with basically all of them being very close. The Maxies would take Sam Bell on trips, and he spent a lot of time at their house. At the age of 14, Sam Bell's mother died, and he basically became like a foster son or a charge to the Maxies. Marilda adored Sam Bell. From a young age, the two would correspond via letter when separated, even if that meant letters were written to Marilda from Sam Bell and his mother's handwriting. Sam Bell even had what I think is adorable, a nickname for his great aunt. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it properly, but based on the spelling, the nickname was Mufadi, or Mufad for short. He wrote lots of letters to Mufadi, who in return wrote lots of letters back to her dear, precious, darling boy that were signed with that same name of Mufadi. Just as with Dora, she and Sam wanted to give him the best, even when that meant Marilda knew she would be separated from him for periods of time, because the best was sometimes meant that Sam Bell went to Washington, D.C. with his now Senator great-uncle to attend school there and act as his great-uncle's page. 
Marilda wasn't shy about letting it be known that she preferred Paris over D.C., and in one of her letters, she writes how if it were not for the fact that she was getting to spend time with Sam Bell in Washington, D.C., she would have basically left D.C. to return to Paris, leaving her husband Sam there to do his own thing. Obviously not in those exact words. Along with acting as a sounding board for her husband and raising the children, Marilda was an active member of her community. As mentioned previously, both Marilda and Sam were devout Baptists. They were members of the Paris Baptist Church, now known as First Baptist Church of Paris. Remember Reverend R.C. Buckner, the gentleman that married them in Kentucky? Well, he arrived in Paris in 1859, two years after the Maxis, and became the pastor of Paris Baptist Church in 1861, thus becoming the Maxis pastor once again. Under his leadership, the church began two projects in, in which Marilda became involved. The first was Sunday school classes, which were uncommon in the early 1860s. Marilda was a Sunday school instructor for a class of young girls. The second project was the formation of Ladies' Aid Society, the first in the state of Texas. The church's Ladies' Aid Society became known as the Lady Sewing Circle, in, in which Marilda was a charter member. The society made and lent clothing to soldiers during the Civil War, as well as helped to complete and furnish the new meeting house that Reverend Buckner began building in 1861. Buckner eventually left his position at Paris Baptist Church to pursue other callings, one of them being the creation of an orphan's home. This home came to fruition and was known as Buckner Orphan's Home. We have on record that the Maxis donated $25 to the project in 1894, with the chance that other donations were made from the first approval for the orphanage in 1877 due to the close friendship that existed between the Maxis and Buckner. As a devout Baptist, one of Marilda's causes was temperance in regards to both alcohol and tobacco. There's even a letter written to Marilda from a reverend thanking her for her support of his anti-tobacco campaign. When Buckner became the pastor of Parish Baptist Church, one of the first committees he formed, along with the Sunday School Committee, was the Temperance Committee. We don't know if Marilda assisted with this committee, but we do know that Marilda served as the first president of Texas's Women's Christians Temperance Union State Organization. In 1881, Francis Willard of the Women's Christian Temperance Union first visited Paris and, together with some citizens from Paris, formed the state's first union in the city. The Women's Christian Temperance Union wanted to educate the population about the negative consequences of alcohol consumption, along with other goals. Willard returned in 1882, and the state organization was formed in Paris on May 9, 1882. It seems that Marilda was not at the meeting leading to the formation of both the local union and the state organization. After it was determined to form a state organization, however, they decided a president was needed and someone at the meeting suggested Marilda. They had to leave the meeting to ask her, to which she consented and was thus unanimously elected. Marilda only served as president of the state organization for one year, and it appears the organization was not very active under her time as president compared to what the organization accomplished under her successor. We do not know why Marilda only served as president for one year. One reason she stepped down might have to do with Dora. It was during 1883 that Dora fell ill, and Marilda might have stepped down to focus more on Dora and her family. Another reason Marilda might have given up the position was because the Women's Christian Temperance Union started focusing on and championing the women's suffrage movement, 
a movement Marilda actually did not agree with. In her own words, in a letter she wrote to Mary Susan, her niece and Sam Long's mother, in January of 1878 from Washington, D.C., Marilda says, The women's rights have been here and spoke their little pieces and retired. I was real glad that they had done before I got here. I can't bear to hear a woman speak in public. They have such squeaking voices that everything they say sounds ridiculous. But then, the worst part is, they rarely have anything that is worth listening to. As a side note, Marilda was not alone in her disapproval of the women's suffrage movement. After her husband passed away in 1895, Marilda continued to be involved in her grandchildren's and other children's lives. She lived in the house she and Sam built with her great-nephew, Sam Bell Maxey Long, and his new wife, Layla Williams Long. She actually taught Layla how to care for gardens on the grounds, imparting a love of gardening to her great-niece-in-law. She and the Longs were later joined by Sally Lee Lightfoot in the house in 1896. On May 18, 1908, after 76 years of life, Marilda passed away. We thought the best way to sum up both Marilda's life and this episode was to read portions from her obituary here in the collection. As mentioned, it was published in one of the local Paris newspapers the day after her death. Some highlights from the obituary read, Mrs. Marilda C. Maxey, the widow of the late General S.B. Maxey, died at 9.45 o'clock yesterday morning at her home on South Church Street in her 76th year of her age. She had been in feeble health for several months, and her death was said to have been due to exhausted vitality. Although not unexpected, her death came as a great blow to many friends in Paris, including all of the old citizens, among whom she was held in great esteem and affection on account of her noble nature and her many kind deeds. Besides being the widow of the most distinguished citizen of Paris, who served in the Mexican War as a brigadier general in the Confederate Army, and as a United States Senator, the deceased was herself one of the most distinguished and useful women of this section. She was a woman of fine executive ability, and her husband doubtless owed much of his distinguished success in life to her counsel. Marilda is buried in Evergreen Cemetery next to her husband. So, that is the story of Marilda Maxey as we know it so far. Hopefully, as we continue to work through family letters and other items in the site's collection, we might learn more about the family matriarch. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you enjoyed our very first episode, or at least our very first real episode. If you have time, we would love it if you could leave a review on iTunes, and if you do, thank you so much in advance. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and is licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can hear more from Kevin McLeod at www.incompetech.com. If you want to learn more about the Sam Bell Maxey House State Historic Site, you can visit us at our website, www.visitsambellmaxeyhouse.com, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash visitsambellmaxeyhouse. You can also find us on Instagram at sbmaxeyhouse. Pictures of the artifacts we discussed today will be posted on both our Facebook page and Instagram, so make sure to check them out. The Sam Bell Maxey House is a Texas Historical Commission property. The Texas Historical Commission is the state agency for historic preservation. It saves the real places that tell the real stories of Texas. If you'd like to learn more about the Texas Historical Commission, please visit www.thc.texas.gov. 
Thanks again until next time.